As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Thursday, October 14th. We are here against all odds, against all coffee spills, against all, well, it's not a time change right now. It's just being hotel in a, situations. Yes, yes. Hotel internet is always a gamble for podcasts, live shows, all of the above. <laughs> but we are here, and uh, I have the motor skills of a toddler, uh, as I've learned many times. I often spill coffees on my desk, and today was mm. one of those days, right before we were supposed to go live, which is Ooh, uh, very uh, convenient. Nice. Yeah, so uh, how, how's everything going? You're, you made it. You're in Arizona. You've seen baseball. That's great. Mm. Yes, it was fun. A- a- AFL baseball is amazing. It's um, it's uh, so strange. I, they're all wearing their own uniform, so you know, like there, it, it seems like an, it's always an all star game. <laughs> you know, uh, there's no concept of team at all uh, because they're all from different teams, and they frankly don't really care if they win or lose. All they want to do is homer or strike the guys out. Um, and they're all kind of uh, there to increase their innings, increase their plate appearances, add to the season, maybe showcase themselves for a trade. Uh, but the big uh, the big get last night was talking to Tristan Cassis and then watching him launch one deep into the night. Uh, but I also enjoyed talking to Mr. Lars Newtbar um, and a few other guys uh, for a story I'm doing down here. Yeah, I was a little surprised that Lars Newtbar was there since we saw him quite a bit in uh, the big leagues this One year. One of the few that had big league experience, and there was some question that he would even report uh, had the Cardinals advanced. Uh, he was on the taxi squad, I believe, um, and somebody like Shea Langoliers, who was supposed to be there, the catcher for the Braves, is not reporting right now because a uh, little something uh, called the NLCS. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, a he's little busy. He's also a taxi squad for, right for the Braves there. I think he's going to try and stay ready for them and not get injured at, a, at an Arizona Fall League game while, uh, while they might need him. So we got a big Game 5 tonight, Giants-Dodgers happening, and it is uh, the kind of game that we've seen Logan Webb do it once. 
I still have some doubts about whether or not he can do it twice because that game one performance is almost impossible to replicate against anyone, let alone a Dodgers lineup as good as this one. But it's going to be Logan Webb against Julio Urias. I'll put the question to you. Can Logan Webb do it again or can Logan Webb do it for four or five innings like he did in game one and turn it over to maybe Kevin Gossman, Gossman and yeah. then Camilo Doval, who's rested. And of course, you've got McGee and you've got Rogers. Like, is there a, a path for the Giants to do it in a slightly different way than they did in game one and come out with this W? Well, as the king of waffles, I have to uh, be on both sides of this issue. Um, I, I think <laughs> just to be serious about that, like I, I know that uh, it frustrates some. Like I've actually been sort of uh, taking a task for it. But uh, I just think there's nuance in baseball. So I'd like, you know, I can see, I try to see both sides. And in this case, what I would see is Logan Webb actually did break out some surprises uh, for that last game. It was the second most he'd ever thrown his changeup. Um, and he'd kind of been going away from the changeup and become more of a sinker slider uh, guy, you know, throughout the season. So this, that was a wrinkle for the, um, for the Dodgers. And I think that it worked a little bit hand in hand with the strike zone that day, because if you remember, he was getting strike zone, he was getting extra strike zone off the edge of the plate. Um, I think it was off the edge of the plate to righties. Um, and so that allowed him to throw some backdoor changeups uh, to play with a wider strike zone left, left to right. Um, that led him kind of take advantage of that changeup. Now, does he have the same strike zone tonight? Does he have the same element of surprise if he comes out there and throws a ton of changeups? I don't think so. So I don't think it'll be the same dominant performance. I don't think it will go as far, but maybe he doesn't need to. The big thing is whether or not the bats support him. If he can give up two or three runs in five or six innings and the bats actually support him, then we're going to go to a tight game that gets down to the ninth inning. Yeah, I think if you look at it from the other perspective, okay, what can the Giants do against Julio Urias? And then if they get to Urias, at what sign of trouble do the Dodgers go to the bullpen and possibly maybe to Max Scherzer for one? I think Dave Roberts tried to downplay the likelihood of Scherzer appearing in this game. But at the same time, if the season is hanging in the balance, he's available for something, even if it's only for one inning. If it's an outing sort of like what we saw from Brandon Woodruff in game four of the Milwaukee-Atlanta series, that's probably at least a baseline expectation for Scherzer at some point tonight. Didn't Council say, like, Burns and Woodruff aren't available and stuff like that? He said, like, I don't think they'll pitch. I don't think they'll pitch is, like, uh, frankly, just BS at this point. (laughs) It's like like those nights in college, like the Thursday nights, you'd say, I don't think I'm going out tonight. (laughs) Or I don't think I'm going to have that much to drink tonight. Back in the day. And then you'd wake up and you'd be like, wow, Wow. set a personal record, made some really (laughs) bad choices, and now i got to go pick up the pieces. And I don't even know where I am. Yeah, where Uh, am I? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I think that, yeah, I think that Scherzer is definitely on the table. I think everything's on the table. It's game five, so... Um, you know, the other thing that I wanted to mention about Webb was um, that you had some astute uh, comments uh, from people saying that the lefties, uh, the lefties that I was like, well, Webb might have some trouble against lefties. Well, pretty much a Seeger. I mean, I like Beatty, you know, but, um, you know, he's not a threat threat. And, um, you know, Bellinger has been playing a little better. Uh, but he's not the Bellinger threat that he used to be. So you're kind of circling Seager as a lefty that might worry you. And otherwise, you're you're taking a, a sinker slider approach tonight against all the righties, I think. 
so that might be the only wrinkle he has is going back to what he was uh, and ditching the change up a little bit more. So, um, you know, I, I could see, I could see this. I, I think it'll be tight. I mean, I, th- this is really good teams. The, the, and then the righties for the giants are going to be really important. You could cite season long numbers um, against lefties by the giants, but that would miss the fact that Evan Longoria missed half the season and Chris Bryant wasn't on this team. Those are two big righties. If you think about it, the righties that they've got that should scare Urias, there's a, it's a longer list than lefties that should scare Webb, right? With Muncie out, you still have a longer list of righties with Posey, Bryant, and Longoria. And I honestly, Flores is a good at bat against uh, lefties. Solano is a good at bat against lefties. So they've got a pretty good uh, lineup, you know, in terms of depth and star power uh, to, to face the lefties. Yeah, I'm looking back at the the previous matchups, Urias against the Giants this year, and they they got to him once, one big big game against him back in in May. I think they piled up 11 hits, seven runs over five <laughs> innings that day. But a lot of good starts from Urias. He's faced them five times this year, and four of those outings were, if they weren't quality starts, they were at least very good starts. So. Uh, it's it's a tall task, but I do think the Giants, the way they're built with those platoon pieces, they can absolutely throw something out there that could work. And I, I do have a little more confidence in them uh, with all of their relievers rested, too. There's not really any question about like their options and, and they're having their everybody they want to have available. Uh, as Trevor wrote in the chat for the live stream, honestly, this Giants team has shattered my expectations so many times. I don't know what's impossible anymore. It's a perfect way to sum up this team, really. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think they have so many options uh, because their relievers are rested that they don't, you know, throw like season one season splits out the window. If they think that Jake McGee profiles better against lefties, then they can use Jake McGee as almost the lefty specialist. If there's two, I mean, you have the three batter minimum, but if there's two lefties out of three somewhere, that's when Jake McGee will come out instead of being like he's their ninth inning guy. Because I think Doval is, you know, looks like the ninth inning guy. Yeah, the confidence level in him through the roof right now, and understandable given that they've had the the ice water in the veins, the pulse checks on him on a few occasions. I said, like, uh, when they said, like, you go back out there for the ninth or something, he said, I'm ready, Poppy. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, the the funny thing is, though, uh, you know, even though he's hit 105, the big step forward for him this year was finding the slider. That was the big uh, development hurdle that he had to overcome this year, um, and he's found it. Because if you if you just keep throwing 105, uh, unless you're Jake McGee, which I, I still don't get it. I mean, I know he's kind of explained it to me, and it's about like he kind of has you know a little bit of shape on the fastball that's hard to pick up or what. Like I'm like, dude, it's a fastball every time. How does it work? And it somehow <laughs> works. It it's bizarre. Uh, one question for you longer term about uh, Duvall. Uh, of course, I'm in that draft. That It's a slow draft happening in the background with our friend Todd Zola. We're in the 27th round, I think. So it's going to end probably by the end of the weekend, maybe even by the end of the, the week. Jake McGee had 31 saves this year for the Giants. Tyler Rogers had 13. Duvall's going to have a large share of them next year. But would you start looking at Duvall as a borderline traditional closer as we look ahead to next season? Or do you think it's going to be a little more of a a mix and match thing kind of indefinitely in San Francisco? Just thinking about the way Gabe Kapler has managed that bullpen and the way that this team has been constructed in recent years. 
I, the one thing that you know we haven't been able to nail down in the data is whether or not um, teams really do this to keep players cheap. You know, do the the mixed bullpens to keep players cheap uh, because you know I I if you, you can say that and it makes sense and it, and you and you can look anecdotally and say that it makes sense, but it's been hard to prove. Uh, that they that they do that in the numbers. Um, if that exists, I don't think the Giants care about it. The Giants have money; they want to win, yeah. you know. Um, and I think it mixing and matching Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers in the eighth, or whoever you know, whoever they find next year, makes a lot more sense than uh, than playing Duval, you know, early. So I, I think, you know, Dillball is going to be the closer. Um, you know, I know that Stuff Plus, I try not to just parrot it, um, but uh, Pitching Plus beats projections for relievers. Uh, so I can tell you that he has excellent uh, stuff uh, and location uh, and is a 105 Pitching Plus, and there's no uh, but his fastball is super straight kind of uh, issues there with Duvall. Here's a comp in the, the live stream from Carter. Jake McGee reminds me of Sean Doolittle from a few years ago. Lefty, pretty much all fastballs. Velo, not overpowering. Yeah, late, later career Doolittle, a little less overpowering. Earlier career Doolittle was more like 95, 96, right? So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't I Chapman. That's kind of where McGee is. Yeah, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good comp. Uh, and then El Capitano, this is why I like playing in saves plus hold leagues. Frees up so much brain space. I mean, I... I'm warming up to the idea. I'm I mean, still holds not aren't a great stat by themselves, and uh, they're a little bit more finicky than saves. So you still kind of want to know who's safe. Like the saves guys are a little bit more in terms of usage. Like the holds guys come and go faster. Yeah, they do. Um, so you're you're kind of you're still there's still a little bit of like the closers are better. But I think you're right. I like those leagues better too because you can focus on just finding quality relievers. I like it. I like that category more when saves still carry a little extra weight. Mm. Like again, there's flaws with both stats. We don't have to relitigate saves versus holds and combining them. But I would think, you like a two times saves plus one times holds league? Yeah, yeah, two x saves <laughs> plus holds. I think is, is a good balance, or even even one. I'll take one and a half on saves. Mm. A little extra weight just for those because that's sort of how well, our. Well, you be quiet work. because everybody who runs an auction calculator is like, shut up. Oh, everybody. I am, I'm a developer's nightmare because all of my funhouse stupid ideas that are actually like fun, creative ideas are not are total pain. calculators. They are, they are not easy things to build from a programming perspective most of the time. Like I, I've I've worked closely enough with people that have to build tools when I have an idea to know that yeah, I am not well liked in, in those circles. Uh, so official prediction. It seems so hard to pick against the Dodgers. It's been hard to pick against them for for so long. I think they're going to go into San Francisco and break some hearts tonight. I'll take the Dodgers side of this one. A nice, tight 4-3 game, back and forth. Delivers in terms of, of hype and energy and fun, but ultimately I think the Dodgers do come out on top in a close one. I'm going to go Giants. Uh, I like the righties in the lineup. Uh, I think Logan Webb might have one more wrinkle. And be able to get through this. Um, I like that they have uh, Gossman. I like that they're home. I do think that might matter a little bit. Um, and uh, my power is running out of my computer. <laughs> Yay! Another obstacle. But I'm I'm going with the Giants. Uh, also tight game. 
have to find a way to watch it here while in Arizona. And you're going to move with me. How exciting. How fun. Isn't this exciting? You get to see my dirty hotel room. Yay. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, um, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad you're giving us all the experience of what it's like to be there, since I'm not there this year. Like ordinarily, we'd be in the same place, sitting awkwardly at one little hotel desk, trying to do a live stream, and you know. So now I feel like I, I am there because I've seen the tour. I've seen. I've seen what the uh, the Marriott room in this instance looks like, and how similar it is to the other Marriott rooms. Well, now I'm on the floor. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> I hope you didn't see me in my boxers through all that. I think you managed to to keep your lower half out of the shot. Thankfully, <laughs> uh, I don't want to. A lot of training band. in the last two years about keeping lower halves out of Zoom shots. <laughs> oh. All right, uh, on it's to gold, Houston. Jerry. It's gold. Yeah, actually, let's uh, <laughs> let's go speaking, to Houston. For speaking a minute. of Seinfeld, when I got here. Uh, they had no rental cars in the entire rental car structure at the Phoenix airport. That thing's they, huge. They had no they rental sold cars out left? completely of cars, uh, including ones that had reservations. And there was like 150 really angry travelers in there. And I was, I was like, I could, I could do the Jerry Seinfeld and yell about taking reservation. You know how to take a reservation. You just don't know how to hold it. <laughs> See, but the thing is, and this is this is my. I mean, if you've ever worked a, a job in customer service or yes. retail or whatever it is, like you, you've been you've been yelled at for something you had no control over, and right. it feels terrible. So I, I would, I, you, I you and I are similar in that regard. We don't, we don't do stuff like that. I just left. So what did they do? So they <laughs> sold the feet. They left. sold the fleet during the plant, the, the pandemic, and and haven't I don't like, know. replenished I think the cars. I think that um, first of all, I think it's related to um, uh, like airlines are understaffed and um, not and canceling flights. So some people are going and getting a car because their flight was canceled. Okay, yeah, um, that's happening. I think that some people are still nervous to fly in planes, um, and so they're renting cars. I don't know. Maybe there's an understaffing issue on the rental car side too. And maybe part of it is people are tired of having crap jobs where they get yelled at and get paid really poorly. And I think that that's kind of reverberating throughout every industry right now. Um, And uh, they're finding that they have to either pay better or uh, offer some sort of incentive uh, to make the job seem better. Um, and, uh, frankly, I think that sort of adjustment has been overdue in American society. Um, if you look at, uh, at European society, they, 
uh, take the full month of August off. You know, it's just like everyone's like, F it. <laughs> it's nice outside. We're done. <laughs> this podcast, it, it got weird as soon as, uh, as soon as you stood up and had to plug in your laptop. The, the <laughs> yes, tone. we were not talking about baseball. Let's get back to baseball. Let's, let's get back to get baseball. To baseball, you idiots. Let's go to the, the Houston uh, story for a moment, just because they cruised through their series with the White Sox. Uh, I think I'm most surprised by really is that the White Sox bullpen didn't come in and shut the door when they needed it to. I thought they had enough depth to get quality innings from that relief core. Other things went wrong, too. Lynn got rocked in game one. Giolito only went four and a third in game two. I just thought they matched up better with Houston than they actually did in the series. The White Sox, we'll talk about them probably on an off-season episode. They're they're well positioned to make another run in twenty twenty two. I want to talk about though. I'm sorry to go off off the runway yeah, here. Go ahead. But I think that we're uh, a lot of focus has been on uh, the White Sox failing or the White Sox uh, somehow having fatal flaws or something, and I and that the White Sox were just a product of their division. And I, I kind of want to push back because if you like, sometimes you just gotta like. I talk about like the the blink thing. I don't love Malcolm Gladwell, but the idea that like sometimes you just gotta like take have an approval, like take an appraisal of a situation and and listen to your first thought about it, and like look at the White Sox and tell me they're a bad team. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, and the people are like, well, they should have like a real second baseman and a corner outfitter, dude. Cesar Hernandez is totally fine. If Cesar Hernandez is your worst position player, and, and if Cesar Hernandez and Adam Engel are your worst position players, like you're a good team. You're a good friggin' team, and they're like, "Well, the 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 the, the starting pitching, they get really lucky." What are you talking about? It's like Lucas Gili, like they're it's a good starting rotation. They could go into the off season and just buy a back end starter and try to turn Kimbrel back into a serviceable second baseman or corner outfielder. That's all they got to do, and they'll be back in it. Yeah, and they may I- not even have to get a starter because they'll probably stretch Kopech out, so they might just try to turn Kimbrel into a cheaper reliever or something. Yeah, we got into the White Sox a little bit on the Athletic Baseball show uh, that I recorded with Keith earlier this morning. That'll go up Friday. But I, I think the White Sox, if they were going to make a splash in free agency and they don't need to, I mean, Marcus Simeon would be a way to just make the offense even better. You want to go from a top five, top six offense to maybe having one of the best offenses in the league? Okay, you could do that. But and then, I don't know and if they then fudge around with Angle. You know, you have Sheets. Mm-hmm. So if Angle and Sheets is your is your right field situation, like, fine, sign me up for that. Carter wants to know when the Rates and Barrels spinoff podcast on the U.S. labor market is coming out. Yeah, uh, that's uh, ways to get depressed every day for 300, please. Like, I couldn't dive into that pool every day. And, and uh, My suggestion is not good. to go find the 300 tweet thread that's that started for me uh, talking about uh, me finding a $50 Oreo in my Oreo pack. Something what? about stagflation, and it's it's ridiculous. I, the guy I was missed that thread. That Oreos, Oreo packs would cost fifty bucks by December. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! Yeah. Anyway, well, I, I think the White Sox are. Oh Lord! Well, well positioned though. I think the question is: Is Tony Larusa coming back? And he he said, "If the players would have me back, I'll be back." Right? That was uh, basically what he to, said. They seem to, you know. Uh, Jose Abreu said he's in all of our corners, which is uh, okay sensual baseball thing maybe but um uh they they seem to uh go to bat for him at the end because it was one of those things that got asked of all of them yeah understandably so so apparently he's coming back if they make moves i think it's relatively small and 
this, this is why I wanted to talk about Houston. I think it's easy to just sort of brush the everything yeah, aside. Houston say, was is a great team. <laughs> they're really good, and yeah. I, I think we we sometimes forget uh, that they they consistently are winning. I understand the trash can scandal. We've talked about that. We've had enough of that story. They're more than that. They always have been. There's so many things they do very well as an organization developing players and being consistently good from year to year. And they've had key players leave. I mean, losing Springer and just kind of doing it again, right? Like that, they Verlander got hurt. Like they've they've had their share of injuries and departures, just like any other team. And yet here they are still doing a ton of damage, not striking out and having plenty of pitching, even though you don't see a lot of their young pitchers, Forrest Whitley sort of the exception, as highly regarded, highly ranked prospects. That says a lot about what they've been able to accomplish as an organization. I think the one thing that really could be a problem for them is Lance McCullers, his injury. Like If he's going to miss some time, that puts them in a pretty difficult spot, but even still, their fallback option is Grinky. Like they eventually go to Grinky in like game four if they don't have McCullers. And you could be so much worse off than this version of Zach Grinky having to give you maybe four or five innings in the ALCS. I mean, my recency bias says they need McCullers to beat the Sox because the Sox just seem like a juggernaut all of a sudden. But we um, have to remember that the Sox offense uh, paled in comparison to the Astros offense, frankly. Uh, during the regular season, during September, any snapshot you want to take. The the Red Sox were more like a top six, top seven type offense, and the Astros were like a number one uh, or number two. So, like, you know, I, I think uh, it may – I don't think it would uh, totally swing the series. Uh, but uh, the, uh, is there talk of him missing him? I thought it was, a little, it was hopefully more preventative and, you know, he just didn't feel a hundred percent. So we got him out of there. Yeah. Just a little more of a, a day-to-day sort of thing. But if that turns into an actual absence, that, yeah. that is one of the things that puts them in a pretty rough spot just because depth I mean, injury is the biggest source of chaos in a season and a postseason. I think. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, you would need more from Jake Odorizzi. Okay, like again, you could do so much worse than guys like Odorizzi and Grinky having to step in for someone like McCullers. Uh, Framber Valdez seems like the exact type of pitcher you'd want to throw in Fenway. That's from Mitch in the live stream. Yeah, I mean, if you lefties at Fenway, it's a tall order for them, but getting a ton of ground balls, that's one way to offset a peak Dallas Keuchel, I guess, would have also been the kind of guy that could fare a lot better at Fenway than the typical lefty. And and also one thing that uh, did come out of I, I did try to defend the nerds when the Rays lost and wrote a piece about defending you know their their, their approach and I kind of uh, pointed out that the same pitching approach was taken by both teams. If you look at uh, when Shane McClanahan and Nate Evaldi were dealing, they were taken out at eighty five pitches. So we're taking dealing pitchers out earlier and earlier. Everybody's doing it. It's not just the Rays. So that that has spread. Uh, the thing that ended up tanking the Rays, I think, it was a little bit of a Glasnow injury. Maybe the Rich Hill trade was was a poor one. Um, and um, maybe it's a money thing because you can buy depth. Uh, if you think about it, the, the the Red Sox had Tanner Houck and Nick Pavetta, and those guys were really good. Imagine if the Rays had an Eovaldi and Sale for $40 million or $50 million at the top of their rotation, then Baz 
and Rasmus and all those guys would have been in the position of how can Pavetta depth. You know, you kind of push everybody down a rung and create depth by by signing guys. Um, the Astros don't have that problem. In terms of guys that can go more than 40 pitches, That that's what I was calling. Like depth now in the playoffs, like bulk now in the playoffs is 40 to 80 pitches. That's how little you need to go. And the Rays did run out of 48 pitchy, pitcher guys, uh, but the Astros won't. You know, if you want to take a guy out at 80 pitches, you're going to have another guy that day that can pitch 80 pitches or 60 or 50. Yeah, the the thing about the Rays, too, that, that kind of hit me this morning was just that, you know, Charlie Morton is pitching well for Atlanta. There were two places it seemed like he was willing to sign, Atlanta and Tampa Bay. It was a one-year deal, so it wasn't a long commitment. And the Rays decided not to make it or they didn't want to match Atlanta's offer. I, I don't know the exact details, but think about a guy that was there last year that they reasonably could have got. They run a payroll in the bottom five every year. It would have been huge. It would have made a huge difference. The hindsight Rasmussen is into a guy that pitches every two days at 40 pitches or something, you know? Would have, right, but Glass just... now was healthy at that time. So that, yeah. that factors into your, your core and what you think, but it's just like if, if they weren't, so cheap on the margins that they had, that they went ahead and traded Snell the way that they did. I think but trading just, Rich Hill was a bad idea. I know that he his spin rate really went down after the spin rate enforcement. It was pointed out to me, and I remember this from our my, my piece is that uh, four seam fastball uh, four seam fastballs are affected by the sticky stuff thing more than curveballs, hmm. and that's what you saw with Rich Hill is he was effective even after the sticky stuff enforcement. That's because. I don't know. I don't know why, but curveballs, you retain more of the spin rate, you retain, retain more of the shape. The real thing that got hurt was that zip, that ride on forcing fastballs that everyone's looking for. Uh, that's what got really hurt by the sticky stuff enforcement. Rich Hills doesn't have like an amazing fastball anyway. So, but Just back to the Astros for, for one <laughs> yeah, second. Shut up about Rich Hill, you know? Well, no, I, I, I think no, no, this, yeah, I agree. this... There's just no... <laughs> There's there's so few easy paths through this lineup. We talked about Kyle Tucker hitting seventh. This is a guy that is a borderline first rounder in fantasy, buried in the seventh spot. We said before, like if, if he's on any other team, he'd hit third or fourth probably. That just speaks to how well the offense is built. Do we have any Jake Myers news? Now, I haven't seen anything yet, and that that looked really bad. Like it, it just yeah, it looked he said like he couldn't throw in the game. Yeah, I, so I'm I'm very shoulder discomfort. Concerned. It's worse than elbow discomfort, I think. And he and he's among the many players they've had who stepped up and been even uh, just above average regulars filling in. Right, getting those yeah. types of guys to emerge. That's sort of part of what always made some of St. Louis's teams pop. Right, you have these guys that are unheralded coming up and and doing good or even great things in some cases but they do it of course with that that young core and we've talked a little about Jordan Alvarez on this show and how great he is is Jordan Alvarez for you so much of the questions we discuss about him in fantasy are about the health of his knees and, and being you know previously UT only and all those kinds of things but I, I, he doesn't walk like Juan Soto does but just in terms of, of a, a young hitter that can do a lot of damage does he belong closer to the Soto and Vlad conversation than most people are willing to put him? I know those other two guys are better, and I'd rather have both of those guys long-term for a few different reasons, but do you feel like Alvarez somehow is is underrated in, in the broader conversation, even though we in the fantasy community clearly appreciate what he can do as a hitter? I I do. Uh, he's one of my favorite people to to watch, especially in BP. It's just uh, just easy, real easy power to all fields. Um, 
And I think that this year's walk rate underrates him uh, in that regard too. Like, I think that he'll have some 12 to 15% walk rate years uh, in the future because I, when I watch him, I think he takes good at bats. Um, it's a little bit different than, you know, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Like, I like them both a lot, but they don't take the same discipline at bats, even as a Jordan Alvarez. And you can point to walk rates and miss some of the picture there, I think. You know, Alvarez is an astro. You know, these guys grind things out. They try not to reach. They, you know, they they try to make contact. They try to make powerful contact. That's they, they I think one of the underrated things about the uh, the Astros is their ability, you know, to 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 turn out hitters. You know, I think we've been talking about these starting pitchers that they turned out for $10,000 a piece um, out of Latin America. But um, if you watch it, one thing that's really interesting about the Astros, too, is that they all set up very similarly, uh, especially ones that came up through their organization. But even uh, Brantley now, uh, look at how they uh, place their bat against their shoulder uh, before the pitch comes. They all kind of, for the most part, hit their shoulder with the bat and then bring it up like two inches, and then that's where their hands are. Um, and uh, so they, they, they're they been part of this the conversation we're having out here at the Arizona Fall League about how, um, like, uh, I think hitter stances are homogenizing. There's been some research about ideal batting stances and ideal, uh, you know, techniques at the plate that you, you don't have the Craig Councils anymore. You don't have the Julio Francos anymore. Um, you know, th- those batting stances have become homogenized. And I think there's a sort of an opposite thing happening on the pitcher thing because all the research says that extremes are great. So now you're having more Tyler Rogers, extreme over, extreme under, weird change. You know, like everyone's trying to be as weird as possible on the mound. Um, not, not necessarily mechanically, but like at least in terms of, of pitches they're, they're creating. And the hitters are all starting to look the same, frankly. And, and some of that you can see in the, in the Astros organization. Yeah, I think it is interesting that we're, we're getting more consistency with the mechanics of, of hitters because if you have a, a simple timing mechanism or a simple start mechanism that just works for everybody to get into that optimal hand position, even if you have something different about maybe the way that you have your feet or other things about the swing that can slightly vary just to kind of fit your body type and what makes you comfortable – Having the hands right seems like a, a very basic thing that could have been done a long time ago or should have been done a long time ago. And it always seemed like hitting was this art where it's like, just do whatever you're comfortable with. And Yes, but there's there's an optimal path. Like if you think about it, there's an optimal path from your hands in the set position, the ready position, to getting the bat in the zone quicker. You know what I mean? Like, so there's an optimal path. Like if I did the Craig Council today and had my hands three, four inches above my head, I would be adding six inches of, of path. You would get eaten alive by high fastballs I mean, I would get eaten with that. Alive anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean. But I think that yeah, I think you would yeah inside fastballs, high fastballs. You because you'd have this long bat path. Yeah, there's there's just no way you're catching up to high fastballs now. Like, but and I, I wonder if if players like that would have adjusted. In, of course, in today's game, but they could do it the way they did because yeah, this is not a critique of, of what came before. It's just, you know, yeah. I think that I think, I think some things like uh, the K vest have really opened people's eyes. Um, I was talking to Matt Lyle, a hitting coach um, that was with the white Sox for a while. And, you know, I asked him, are there, are there truths with a capital T in hitting? And he said, yes. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think that's playing out in, in hitter development now. 
Yeah, so I got one more topic that I want to get to because we I guess we could make a series prediction for Red Sox Astros because it's going to start before the next time we have a show, no show on Friday. I think it's the Astros. I think it's the Astros in six, and I think it is a boatload of runs in this series. It's going to be probably one of the highest scoring series we've ever seen for an ALCS. Um, I'm just not going to go that far because you just gave yourself more ways to be wrong. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> so I'm going to be more vanilla and be like, you know, Astros and six, and it'll be a great series. How about that? <laughs> that that's like the best Can't prediction. Can't prove me wrong on that. <laughs> I'm going to really enjoy watching this series. So it comes out like every game's like 2-1, 1-0. It's like, I loved the pitching in that series. Every game's 9-8. I loved how those hitters were just mashing. I don't care that those games took five hours. I enjoyed Enjoyed it because we saw Astros more home runs than ever. You're like, I enjoyed watching the dominance. Half of my prediction was right. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Enjoyment is not a not a real prediction. Well, not, not in baseball. Well, I, you Gravity. know, if I laugh at this stuff, like seriously, guys, I, this is a, a little stat that I had in my nerds thing. So, war is the best stat for predicting uh, for pro- for projecting wins for predicting wins, right? It's the best single stat. It war wins above replacement uh, project uh, uh, explains eighty percent of the variance. That's really high. Eighty percent of the variance in wins. If you know a team's war, you know how good they are. Pretty much, like that's that's an amazing one thing. Like that's how far we've come. It predicts six percent of the variance in the postseason, and it's the only thing. That has like a good p value that like you would actually be like oh that actually does predict postseasons and it predicts six percent after it predicts eighty percent of regular season wins so like when people say that predicting the past is a crapshoot it is it like it literally like that example is the best I can give you even well even then if, if you think about the regular season if you're predicting. Uh, 162 games worth of outcomes versus one series like it's. It, it's right, just because you're making it smaller. Like it, it yeah. Look what yeah. happens within the 162. The chaos. I happens guess to within like it. really, yeah. I guess to like really nail that comparison, you have to be like, how much would WAR predict uh, just a random five game stretch? Uh, maybe it is only six percent, but still, that's I mean, that's the source of the that's the source of the crapshootedness. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when you were uh, traveling yesterday, uh, Britt had the very unfortunate task of, of playing uh, therapist for me as uh, I mourned the end of, of the Brewers season. And, I, and all of that, I didn't, I didn't really wax poetic about how great I think this Atlanta team is, but it, it, it's a good Atlanta team. I, I think that was maybe undersold as part of our, our conversation yesterday, which I'll take full responsibility for because it was all about me yesterday with uh, how I felt about the Brewers. This is an Atlanta team that had a 3-1 lead in the NLCS against the Dodgers last season. And there are a lot of things about 2020 that I have completely erased from my own memory. That was one that all three of us were like, oh yeah, that actually happened as we were reminded. Oh yeah, the Braves did win a series. They won two last year. But they were up 3-1 in the NLCS against the Dodgers. Yeah, Atlanta had Acuna that year, but the Dodgers were a different team then too. And the strengths of these two teams are still relatively the same. I I think Atlanta is more dangerous than most people gave them credit for. I think I gave them proper credit. I said they matched up well with the Brewers. I said their big three could hold their own against the Brewers pitching, and that that, that bared itself out. But I think what, what makes Atlanta good in my mind is that they have the, the core, you know, Freeman, Albies, you have, you have the, and Austin Riley's kind of stepped up and been excellent hitter helping to replace some of that loss with Acuna but then it's the secondary guys it is guys like Swanson last year it was Travis Darno. he's not playing at the same level right now but this is Rosario Jock Peterson Adam Duvall that trio of replacement outfielders they're flawed players from a sabermetric perspective but they're dangerous hitters they can take advantage of mistakes and that's really what you're looking for from secondary guys. If you have that core of two or three great hitters in place and you've got four or five other guys that can absolutely do some damage, that makes you pretty dangerous when you put at least three good starters out there and an A bullpen that is an above average unit. Okay, the B bullpen's a problem, fine, but how much does that even matter if your starting pitching does well and isn't overtaxing your relievers? Yeah, one problem is um, strikeout rate. They had, even with the replacement group in place in September, they had the fourth worst strikeout rate in in baseball, uh, not even among the playoff teams. And so I just think that they can be pitched to. Um, and you saw in that um, in that series that, you know, it was equal parts, really good pitching and not great hitting. That's what kept it uh, low scoring, I thought. Um, you, you could say it was Burns or Woodruff or whatever and, um, you know, Anderson and uh, and Morton and all them. But I do think that part of it was both offenses were fairly flawed. Um, and I think when you go up against a team that makes more contact, has a higher barrel rate, has a lower reach rate, uh, you're going to see either the Giants or the Dodgers uh, push them more when it comes to runs. Uh, you know, so there's, they're going to score more runs than the Brewers did. Um, and yes, the Brewers would have better pitching staff probably than either of these teams. Uh, but especially if the Dodgers come out, the Dodgers can match, uh, that sort of ace to ace kind of 
uh, feeling in the Brewers and then also add more scoring to boot. So uh, I would say that either team that comes out of this uh, game five tonight is a favorite against the Braves. I would agree. And I think everybody would say, well, the Dodgers would be a, a bigger favorite than the Giants for the reasons that you mentioned. I, I think the, the thing that gives Atlanta a better shot against San Francisco specifically is the Giants pitching staff doesn't pile up strikeouts quite the same way the Dodgers do. Both those teams can do plenty of damage offensively. Both can just outscore Atlanta. And I do think more balls in play against Atlanta's we'll defense favor Atlanta. is going to... Well, like if I'm just saying that compared to the oh. Brewers, though, it is going to put stress on a very questionable defense. The Mike Petrella has a great piece out about how uh, in May they just started shifting and never looked back. Um, and my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite part of the piece is not necessarily all these sort of broad shifting numbers, but he points out that um, Dansby Swanson was standing within sort of like you know five feet of second base uh, for one 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 player. Um, it was like when he did the unassisted double play. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, when he was, it was the spot he was standing in, um, a, a brave shortstop stood in that spot for one pitch in all of 2019. Um, and it, and then over the course of, uh, of the course of, I may or maybe 2020, but in any case, in the course of this season, they've done it 15, 20, 25 times. And, and it's become not only a team that shifts with a capital S, but a team that does the. Uh, micro shifting the the little three or four steps to your left and right that uh, seem to it seems to be also frankly a part of the giant success because the giants had great defensive numbers but uh, they have some flawed defensive pieces you think about flores uh, solano uh, you know and then aging guys that used to be really good but you'd think that they might have fallen off more on defense um in in crawford and and, and uh, longoria so um you know the Braves now kind of strike me as a team that makes the most out of their defense in a similar way that the Giants do. Yeah. No, I think those teams are a little more similar than people previously thought. I think that'd be a great matchup if that's what we get. I, again, mentioned before, I think the Dodgers are going to win that game, and it's going to be a Dodgers-Braves matchup to close out the NL. But, uh, I'm excited for it nonetheless. Even though I'm disappointed it's not my team playing for the NL pennant, I think we are in store for another great series uh, before we go, I'm going to let everyone know if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, this is a great time to get one. You can get half off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can read all of Eno's stuff, all of Ken Rosenthal's stuff, Jason Stark's stuff, of course, all of Britt's articles, as well as she's on the road for the postseason, too. Uh, Eno, enjoy Arizona. Say hi to uh, our friends uh, for me and enjoy uh, at least one extra beer uh and, and oh. I, have, I, I said yesterday i want someone to eat all the portillos for me i mean so i don't know if you can single-handedly do all of it but get well, that last night's going. last night's um uh last night's uh you know special food of the food option of the evening was brought to us by woody uh listener from um from uh canada and he brought some canadian beer and then also um uh all dressed uh, potato chips and mm. some uh, ketchup flavored potato chips. So I had both of those for the first time. Uh, all dressed was uh, something around a sour cream and onion, but uh, like a like maybe I don't know, like a sort of a cheddar thing on top of it. Mm. And the ketchup was uh, I, I liked it. <laughs> I like the ketchup fries. I kind of feel like we need to have more of that in America. 
yeah, I'm on board with that. I also saw there's some kind of like coffee bar candy thing they have in, in Canada. They they have it near the border in a few places, but I've never actually yes, seen one. Yeah, so I'm they broke by out the too. candy too. So oh, uh, it was a fun fun night by the fire pit, and I've got a couple more before I, I head back to the Bay Area. But uh, that was all a preamble for thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>